Hello, Space Watchers. I am Jim Murphy, and this is a new episode of Space Cafe Radio, your radio channel dedicated to emerging trends and live conferences in the space sector. Our fantastic guest today is Jeremy Scheel, co-founder and chief development officer at OrbitFab. OrbitFab is a U.S. space company building gas stations in space in hopes of helping create a bustling space economy. Today we are talking with Jeremy about OrbitFab as a company and getting any advice he may have for someone interested in starting a company in the space sector. Enjoy. Jeremy, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Of course, it's our pleasure. Now, let's start with the basics. So, could you tell us a little bit about what OrbitFab does, what it is, and then your role at the company? Sounds good. So OrbitFab, we are building gas stations in space. And, you know, it's not the same kind of gas we use down here on Earth. Satellites use a variety of different chemicals for their thrusters. And we go and provide fuel depots and fuel shuttles to be able to deliver the propellant to our customers in orbit. And in my role within the company as the chief development officer, I focus on different functional areas of the business. I build them up and then I hand them off and go on to the next area. That's amazing. So you're a man of many hats, it sounds like. And so OrbitFab itself, uh, it was founded, I want to say, 2017, if I'm correct. So, was, so we were founded in 2018. 2018. I first met Daniel back at Deep Space Industries when I uh, was still in university. Uh, he ended up leaving shortly after I started, and we reconnected at a conference later in 2017 after I graduated. I uh, started sharing our vision for you know the space industry and humans getting off this rock and colonizing space, creating the first permanent jobs there. And he invited me out to California. And that night I booked a one-way flight and told my parents when I got home, I was moving out in two weeks. And we spent uh, the rest of 2017 working on several business ideas. And uh, OrbitFab was the one that stuck. So January 2018, we founded the company and started going out for our pre-seed investment. I love it. That's what the movie is going to be about, you know, in, 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 in 15 years. Uh, no, that's great. So OrbitFab, gas stations in space. I think some people are thinking like gas station in space seems like it's kind of out there. So my question for you is, who is the primary customer? Who are you shooting for right now? What market are you trying to attack? Yeah, so our early customers are the satellite servicing industry. So companies that are looking to service current spacecraft in orbit, to deorbit some pieces of debris that are clogging our LEO orbits, and then uh, different governments around the world, whether it be for like climate science or moving assets or insurance industry is really interested in having satellite observation for insurance claims. A lot of it is starting with this new um, this new subsector of satellite servicing. Eventually, everyone in the space industry will be refueling. You know, it's important to remember, like, space is not really an industry. It's, it's a domain of doing business. You know, give us 50, 100 years. Every company on Earth is a space company. It's just all of us are kind of ahead of the curve. You can think of it, you know, going back a few hundred years when we first started doing the spice trade along the Atlantic, you know, they weren't considered the Atlantic industry. They were like shipping industry. And so I I foresee, you know, in the future, a lot of us that are in satellite servicing now are going to kind of divvy up into what we currently see as a logistics industry or, you know, manufacturing industry or infrastructure industry 
versus, uh, and, and then like also being a part of the space industry, but that just being kind of a, a qualifier rather than the primary thing that we're known for. So you, you talked a little bit about the domain itself and you talked about how everyone is going to be doing refueling in space. Can you tell me a little bit about why it's important and how that might come about? Yeah, let me go back and, and talk a little about a little bit about history. The only way economies ever grow on Earth is when you have a cheap and reliable energy source that allows you to move goods and services and people from one place to another. So at first it was, you know, people walking from tribe to tribe, then it was horses, then we got to steam engines, right? Then coal, and now we're at oil and gas. And oil and gas was this huge inflection point because it was so cheap and, and available that we saw the global economy take off, for lack of a better term. And when we talk about the space industry, everyone's looking at this trillion-dollar economy that's going to be coming, coming about in the next decade. But really, the only way you can grow an economy is if you have a cheap and reliable fuel source to move goods and services. So OrbitFab is merely the next step in this chain where we're providing that fuel in orbit so people can go out and move more things, provide more goods and services. Um, you know, you look at NASA wanting to go to the moon and Elon's trying to get to Mars, but the only way you can do that sustainably and reliably is if you have fuel depots along the way, kind of creating an orbital highway, if you will, to, to make things cheaper and more reusable. Because currently everything is disposable in our industry. So no, nothing's designed to be serviced or repaired. Once it runs out of fuel, which over 80% of satellites decommission because they run out of fuel, you throw them away, you build a new satellite, and then you have to launch it, which is it's just not profitable or sustainable in the long run in the ways that we need it to be. Yeah, so I mean, there's so much good stuff in there. I think one of the things you're talking about is how these different companies, this domain needs things within it. So SpaceX, NASA, they're going to need companies like OrbitFab refueling them. You know, that's going to be an important part of their business strategy, their business plan. Could you run us through maybe the most important thing about OrbitFab's business plan, whether it's the finances, whether it's building connections or the business model or anything like that? Yeah, so I would say it's two-prong on the um, building connections and relationships and then the business model innovation. So starting with the first one, the building the relationships and connections globally. So we first set out when we started the company looking for what kind of fueling port we could use to transfer fuel in space. And nothing really met our needs or the customer's needs that we've been talking to at the time. And so one of the things that we set out to do was, okay, we need to build the industry's fueling port. And, and it can't be orbit fab derived. We, it really has to be a communal effort that everyone can get behind. And so over the last four years, we've talked with over 200 commercial companies and government agencies across the globe, taking in the requirements and really making sure that the interface we're designing is going to meet a global need, not just a U.S. need. Because the last thing you want is multiple different interface standards globally kind of limiting the market. Now, now early on, having different interfaces is good, right? Because you don't want to limit the technology and the innovation. But long term, we really, as, as an industry, want to coalesce to a single interface. And so our, our stance was, well, let's just bring the industry along for the ride while, we, while we're building this and, and keep getting feedback from them. And then on the business model innovation side, 
you know, we're taking, we're, we're selling fuel as futures contracts. So basically straight out of the oil and gas industry where a customer will buy fuel from us today. And then we can, and then we promise them to deliver the fuel and they guarantee that they're going to take the fuel. And so what we can do with these contracts is then go to the uh, commodities markets and start financing these contracts to really lower the amount of money that we have to raise to make this business viable. And so we were already talking with groups in the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, London Metals Exchange, and exchanges in Australia to really make sure that we can add these commodities onto the market. Yeah, I think, you know, that makes a ton of sense. And it's interesting asking different entrepreneurs, different companies, these questions, because you get a lot of the same information and hopefully can help people realize that these are the things that are important. So when it comes to building connections and also making this technology, OrbitFad is somewhat of a trailblazer in this domain, in this specific, we'll call it refueling sector. You guys are pushing the limits here. Have you found that you've had to inform or convince your customer that this is the future and that this technology is what it's going to be? I would, I would say it's a lot of education, right? So most of our business development is really sitting down with, with our potential customers and partners and, and showing them the benefits that they can see from refueling. So when we first started the company, refueling wasn't being talked about that much. And so we had to do a lot more education of it doesn't make sense for you to throw away your asset and then build a new one when most of the technology is still good. It makes far more sense for you as a business to refuel those assets and then keep using them to amortize the costs over a longer lifetime of the vehicle. And then the other big, uh, the other big area that we we're working on educating the customers is to not think of refueling as life extension. That is one aspect of refueling. But whenever we refuel a vehicle or an asset on earth, whether it be, you know, a cargo ship, a plane, your car, a semi truck, it's never, the thought is never about whether you are extending the life of the vehicle. Like that's kind of implicit with what you're, with what you're using it for. You're really thinking about, I need to go somewhere. I need to deliver something. And and that's the mindset. And so shifting away from, you know, yes, you're going to extend the, the, the vehicle's lifetime to, well, now instead of doing three or four missions with your vehicle, you can do 50 or hundred missions, or you have a whole new area of business, um, opportunity is open to you that were closed because you didn't have enough Delta V. A good case study of this would be like VLEO, right? So you could make a VLEO constellation to get better high resolution imagery on earth, but you're going to have to constantly burn your thrusters, which means you're depleting your fuel much, much quicker. But if you can refuel, you can just keep doing that, go up to a higher orbit, refuel, and then go back down. Another one is we talked about earlier, wanting to go back to the moon, you need a reliable train, essentially, that's going to take your goods and services from Leo to the moon. So you're not doing a expensive launch to a translunar injection orbit every time you need to get new new supplies there. And so it's just it's just thinking about space in a whole new paradigm than what we're used to. You know, another another example where refueling has benefited is you have more flexibility with your asset. So let's say you build your satellite for one thing and the market changes on you three to five years later, but you wouldn't have the fuel to go out and capitalize on that change quickly. 
But when you can refuel the asset, you can just top it off and then immediately change mission parameters. And so it's just, it's just turning a lot of this capital expenditure into op- operational expenses that the industry hasn't seen before. So trying to educate a market, uh, what you're talking about, that seems like a big challenge in itself. Would you say that's the biggest challenge that Orbifab has right now as a company? Or what would you say is the biggest challenge right now Orbifab is facing? I would say the biggest challenge we're facing right now is partly the education, although that's that's like everyone is basically seeing refueling as an inevitability at this point. And then the other part is the time lag from when a customer will integrate Rafty and launch to when we refuel them. Because when, when they launch, they're not going to need fuel for the first few years and so we were carrying these fuel contracts for for a number of years. And so that's a different way than what space company space companies normally operate. All right. So now the more fun question. What would you say your company's greatest success so far has been? Ooh, man, we have so many of them. So I would say the first one that set a really good foundation for us was our tagline, gas stations in space. You know, it's a it's immediately understandable of what we're doing. You know, we, we're only tackling one thing. So it's, we're only, we're laser focused on refueling. We're not trying to do any other aspect of satellite servicing. We merely want to be the, the fuel supplier for the industry. And so moving quickly from the FERFI mission we had in 2019 that we launched in 2018 to then Tenzing, the world's first fuel depot that we launched last year. And then now winning our two big government contracts and signing up a lot of customers. I would say the the biggest win is yet to come. I'm going to say the big win is when we actually do the first refueling in space. And that's really what we're working endlessly towards. I think that'll be a huge day. I mean, that will be awesome. The, the interesting thing, I think, in there is you said you're laser focused on this one aspect. What do you think the benefit is to stay laser focused on one thing rather than branching out? You have a limited amount of resources as a startup, whether that be capital, people, space. Really, when you're laser focused, every dollar is maximized to get you to that goal. And then focusing on a minimal viable product and then keep building off of that is also really critical. So that's why we started with Furphy on the International Space Station with water. And that was four and a half months from napkin sketch to hardware handover. Then we did Tenzing, which had high test peroxide. So, you know, a little more of an aggressive propellant. And that program was nine months from napkin sketch to launch. And then now we're working on our hydrazine development for our fuel depots that we're delivering to the government. And the fuel contract that we just signed with DIU to deliver fuel in geo to a Space Force satellite in 2025 so it's really now focusing on getting our depots and shuttles geo-qualified and getting used to working with the with hydrazine. And and yeah, being laser focused again, like it's it's hard, it's it's hard for people to understand intuitively what you do when you're trying to do everything that's pertaining to servicing versus like if you're just focusing like we're only doing this, your message doesn't get confused. Yeah, it makes sense to me. So you talked about how refueling in space is a certainty. It's going to happen. So, you know, when that's going to happen, space is a big domain. 
How do you feel about competition in the industry? Do you welcome it or do you see it as a disruption? No, I welcome it. Honestly, we, we only have a, f- a few competitors. So, you know, the big one being Northrop Grumman in the U.S. and then several international. But it, it actually makes it harder to raise money when, when you're the only one uh, in, in your category because you can't point to say, look how many other companies are getting funded, like how big this is. We've kind of sucked up all of the the airspace and the and like this vertical. Um, you know, we've had several companies who were looking at doing refueling a few years ago who have now s- s- switched business models because we, we pride ourselves in, in talking to everybody. Again, those two hundred plus uh, commercial companies and, and government agencies to really you know build and deepen those relationships. So I, I welcome it. I mean, again, like right now, the in the industry is really focused on the interfaces, but. Uh, long term, the interfaces aren't really what's important. It's going to be your inventory, how you, how uh, well you you provide your service to customers, and things of that nature. Versus where we're at right now, which is focusing on interfaces. I love it. And now that I'm thinking about it, you picked an interesting time to start a business. You know, you start up the business, and then COVID rolls in, and then now even with the war in the Ukraine, there's a whole bunch of different factors that are going on that are messing up supply chains that are maybe making some relationships a little bit tense and things like that. So how has turmoil affected the company? How have you guys weathered the storm? Yeah. So the the big one, we'll, we'll just go back to 2018 when we started the company. There were only eight, com- eight companies who have publicly said that they were doing satellite servicing. And now there's over 150 globally and, and when a lot of, I'll say, black swan events happen or, or disasters happen, the aerospace industry is, is typically insulated from a lot of it because there's, a, there's so much government funding into the sector that they typically can hold out and weather the storm for when the VC market or the, the public markets like pick back up. For us, 2020, you know, it, it wasn't terrible in the sense that we had a lot more time to, to focus on building up those relationships. We got really good at the Zoom calling and the virtual calls really quickly. And at that point, we were still working on several of our SBIR contracts. And so the supply chains took a hit, which, which was one of the hardest parts. But we pride ourselves on maintaining good relationships with our suppliers and you know, making sure that we work with not you know not just exclusively with one, but with several, just so we can always have parts coming in. And then for the the war in Ukraine, it really hurt on the xenon pricing. Like when we the start of this year, xenon was thirty five hundred dollars a kilo, and now it's like twenty seven thousand or thirty thousand dollars a kilo. Uh, so it's it's making that um, you know electric propulsion a lot more expensive. And then at the same time, it's we're, we're now back at the stage where we're going. Everyone's going to conferences and meeting back up. So I'm, we're we're seeing the the speed increasing again now that everyone's back in the office and, and things like that. Yeah, I like it. Awesome. So I gotta ask you, what any advice you would have for someone who wanted to start a company, <laughs> even if it was a competitor or just a company at all in the space sector? Any advice for them? So I will say this, not even like space sector, any sector at all, uh, share your idea with everybody. Talk with all the people you think are going to be your customers. Say, hey, is this going to be useful for you? You would be shocked with how hard it is for somebody to take your idea 
I joke with people, it's like you could have a whole business plan and the money and hand it to somebody and they probably still wouldn't take it. And so don't be afraid to share your idea because if it's a good idea and like people will want it, you can get testimonials as you start to go raise money, which is huge because not a lot of startups go and talk with their customers right away and actually like get feedback and quotes that they can put into their pitch deck. And it's also good because the more people you talk to, right, you're, that's the start of you building those relationships and you're really just trying to figure out how can I help you? Uh, and if that's the mindset, uh, you know, you'll, you'll go a long way and you'll, and, and people will tell you early on, you know, no, this is not really uh, going to be of interest to us. And, you know, seven or, you know, pick your number of companies tell you that it's not an interest, you, you know, now that you don't need to pursue it and you should find something else. And that happened with Daniel and I, when we like Orbit Fab was our second company, we started Space Fab, uh, which was to grow semiconductor ingots in orbit, indium phosphide uh, ingots for the, the wafer industry for semiconductors. And after spending two, three months talking with a bunch of people, we just, we had enough information to say, okay, this is not the right business at this time. Let's shut this one down and then focus on something else. And so that was one of the five businesses we were looking at. And OrbitFab was the next one that we took a look at. And that one, you know, overwhelming response from our customers. Fantastic. So so I would like to go into a deeper dive into the development of the chief development officer role. You say you go in, you make some work, you move on to the next thing, a man of many hats. Does that involve business development? It involves engineering like what are all the hats that you're working yes i didn't um i didn't do the engineering james bultitude our our cto he was the one uh, who really like set up our engineering team i focused a lot on like business development government affairs government programs marketing supporting on investments and working with strategic investors so a lot of the the non-technical aspects of of the business so I started with business development. We handed that off to our chief commercial officer, Adam Harris, who's like doing a phenomenal job building up his team. I'm now running marketing. And so I'm like going in all in on there. And now we're looking to hire somebody into marketing who's going to, you know, kind of take this to the next level. And then I'll go and then support Daniel on the investment side some more. So really, uh, really love, like I've always been a Swiss army knife, like ever since I started working at 14, I've always been the one that really likes getting into like a bunch of different areas and kind of being the, the stopgap for the system. I love it. You know, somebody has got to be the glue that keeps everything going. It's fantastic. Yeah. So you talked a little bit over there about government affairs and things, and we've talked about, you had these government contracts going on. What do you think the, you know, the role of government agencies will be maybe in the future or how do you, what do you think their role should be right now? Now the, the role of government really is to be kind of the, the early adopter and the, I, I don't want to say anchor customer because that's not, that's not really how in my mind that they should be, but, you know, kind of backing different technologies that they want to see that's useful for them, but also useful for the commercial industry and then leaving it up to the markets, right? The, the one the one area that, you know, government is really good at are programs that, you know, on the NASA side would be like science and exploration and ver- versus things that are we're trying to make markets on, you know, it could be launch or, or whatever. Because you can let the commercial industry handle that who are profit motivated and they're going to find the best and most optimal route of doing this. And then on the government side, right, um, finding things that, you know, 
can work commercially, but also can serve a government need as well. You know, whether that be fixing up their satellites, refueling their satellites or, or what have you. It's, it's having them more being like a customer versus them going the route we have been of the uh, multi-billion dollar programs. I like it. Great answer. Great answer. You know what? That's all I have for today. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for bestowing your wisdom, telling us the ups and downs and, you know, where it's going, where it's been. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you. Hey, good luck to OrbitFab. I can't wait for the first uh, refueling. We'll be definitely marking it down in the calendar. Awesome. Yeah, and Jim, I'd love to do another one of these and share you more about the uh, the next steps of the company in the future. Oh, it would be great. Sounds good to me. If you want to keep an eye on the space industry, visit our website at www.spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. And of course, don't forget to become a space watcher. I'm Jim Murphy from Space Watch Global, your independent perspective on space. Space.